We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're here. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here with the old man, Andreas Hale. First things first, I am so glad, and I think I can speak for the both of us, that you guys enjoyed the last episode, three hours of SummerSlam weekend and wrestling talk. And we've had nothing but positive feedback. So for everyone who listened to that, thank you so much. We're glad you enjoyed it. We were exhausted, but I'm glad that we gave you a glimpse into our world during a crazy weekend for us. And that'll continue today because we're talking about the Manny Pacquiao fight. So we'll kind of pick up where we left off, where we left SummerSlam last week. And we'll roll through and tell you how it was getting to the fight there was a good amount of urban loitering that we'll touch on as well. We'll talk about um, just the shenanigans to get into the fight, which were hilarious. And then in there, of course, Manny Pacquiao losing to Ugas and what that means for the future of the welterweight division and Manny Pacquiao himself. And then we'll touch on UFC a little bit before we get out of here. Jared Cannonier won his fight last weekend, but the real headline stealer was post-fight interview. He says that he's broke and he needs to fight. And we'll talk about, Again, what that means for fighters, and is this the final straw? Are we reaching that point yet? So we'll get into all of that on today's show. But Dre, before we pick up our weekend that was, you seen the stupid milk crate challenge shit? Have I? I mean, have you, you saw my tweet today, right? I, apparently, uh, Charlemagne shouted me out on The Breakfast Club. Charlemagne's a friend of mine from way back. But I tweeted, I was at, you know, Walmart. And I know people are going to say, it's school year. Yes, I know this. But there were crates. They had crates in the front, right? It was three aisles of crates. And there's an aisle in the back. And I took a picture and I put it on social media. And apparently, I think it's gotten into other people's hands. And I was like, it feels like they're capitalizing on this because they're right in the front. And a lot of them are sold out. And I know people ain't buying crates like this. These idiots are buying crates to do a crate challenge. Look, if y'all want to go out there and say, if you want to bust your ass and like injure yourself on these crates, but then you're going to say, I don't know about that vaccine. It's too dangerous. We got a problem. <laughs> well, getting a vaccine shot won't make you viral. So busting your ass on a bunch of crates might. God, that's so stupid. People are willing to risk it, man. My biggest shock of what you just said 
Was that you were in Walmart? Yeah, no, right? Like, what was I doing in Walmart? What were you doing in Walmart? I've never seen you or heard of you going to Walmart. You are a Target, <laughs> fancy, schmancy pants, Costco type of guy. I was at, well, my wife orders everything, right? Like, when I say everything, she orders from Amazon. She was whoever's got the best deal, she orders some stuff from. And about mm, 30% of that shit I end up having to take back. And she ordered a trash can that needed to go back to Walmart. And then apparently, somebody have to tell me, I didn't know this. Uh, Patty LaBelle's pudding is in Walmart. So she was like, go there, return this trash can that doesn't work. One little mechanical, and then stop and get me some Patty LaBelle banana pudding. So I was like, begrudgingly, all right, <laughs> I'm gonna go to Walmart. So that's what I was doing in Walmart. I, like I said, I walked into Walmart and I was like, hey, this is weird. It's a lot of crates here. And then I looked and I was like, yo, there's like four hours of crates. And then one aisle is completely empty. There's no way that people are buying crates for the intended use of like school books or records records <laughs> you're aging yourself right or <laughs> like or like milk like these aren't being bought for those things not this many in abundance like we actually have crates we use crates in our house for like sodas and and bottled waters and stuff like that we we buy crates but there was like there was an aisle that's completely empty of crates and i was like these fools out here killing themselves they bought these crates because these aren't even the right crates these are the crates that'll break you need like the full ass milk crate and these fools are buying crates to bust their ass but yes that's what I was doing in Walmart. I don't go to Walmart. I just, I usually just don't, but I happened to be there and I saw, you know, crate mania. I did not know people use crates for Like, I guess I've seen them in schools, right? Like teachers will keep shitting them sometimes, I guess. But to me, milk crates are used for two things. None of those being milk. And a milk crate was either a chair, which you're still risking your life if you're sitting on a milk crate. At one point, they were banned in New York. And then it's a basketball hoop. There you go. That's it. A piece of plywood on the tree with the milk crate. One nail. Bow. And you got fun for the entire summer. I did not know they were used for anything else. So this now makes me wonder, who just had an abundance of milk crates? And was just like, fuck it. Let's stack this. Like, this is a level of Super Mario Brothers. And try to jump over no, it's so dog. It's so stupid. You see the, first the girl time, do it in heels? Yeah, she was stupid. But the first <laughs> time I saw it, I was like, what are y'all doing? Like, I don't even understand the logic behind this because this is almost as nonsensical and stupid as the Tide Pod Challenge when people were just like eating Tide Pods. It's like, yeah. there's no real good outcome that can come out of this aside from you getting hurt and busting your ass and I guess going viral for that. But the injury, uh, the, the percentage of people getting injured by this is ridiculous. Like, there's no reason to make a pyramid of crates. Like, yo, I know we're creative people in general, but this is dumb. This is like the Hood Olympics, right? Like, this is the dumbest shit ever. And more power to you if you think you're... No, no power to you if you're doing this. No power. I'm sorry. I can't give you any shout out for this. This is dumb. Just stop. Find something else to do. There's nothing else to do. The summer's winding down. People act stupid in the summer all the time anyway. That's why I wasn't shocked. I was like, oh, this is just some summertime shit. People are just like, yo, I have no clue what to do with the rest of my summer. Oh, let's see if we can climb these milk crates. And one, I didn't know it was that difficult until, like, you see it happening. You'd be like, yo, yeah, this shit does look kind of hard. The worst videos are the people who are about to get it, and someone just kicks out the middle rope. Yo, what is that? Somebody got to die. Shit. Yo, we've, that's it. I'm putting the pause on you. 
like from a distance, like Ugas. I'm not even just running up on you. I'm just strike from distance, show you this jab after my broken arm heals. Because it's like it's hard enough to go across. You ain't kicking this shit out from under me. That's 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 low ball right there. So now nah, people are just weird, yo, weird. But it made me think Tide Pod Challenge was stupid, but that wasn't really for us. That, that was a bunch of kids doing stupid shit. What is the dumbest fad from like your youth that you remember? Did they have challenges? Not to yeah. call you like that old, that old. But I mean, I had like challenges in my youth, but there was also like fads and shit that went around. I can't even think of like challenges. Uh, like, we had planking, but I was like freshman year yeah. of college. Yeah, see, like childhood challenges. Nah, man, there was no like internet like that. So it was like, nah, I can't even think of any challenges. Uh, the only challenge I could think is like grab her butt and run. That was a challenge. Yeah, that's that's not good. Girls used to be stupid fast. Yeah, I know, and it's crazy because like you say that today, and people are like, yo, that's like harassment. Yeah, I know, but it happened. Like <laughs> people was you slap a girl on the butt and then you take off. You see what happens. Like that was that was some grade school, middle school stuff. And plenty of my friends got beat up by grabbing the wrong one. That's about the only challenge I could think of. Yeah, I remember we had, when I was young, like in New York, and I think everywhere had the same thing, but everyone called it different. But we had uh, giving people gills, which is just like, I guess there were rips in certain places, or I don't know what the fuck they called them, like on the West Coast. But if someone said something stupid, like, yo, give me your neck, and you got to give them a gill for it. Oh yeah, like a hook. I remember. Oh, it's a hook out here. All right, yeah, yeah. So like we had that shit. And giving someone an Indian burn on the neck, boy. Yeah, that wasn't fun. I mean, oh, like, that wasn't fun at all. It was like <laughs> two for flinching. Like I think everybody did two for flinching. Like you roll up on somebody, make them flinch. He's like, hey, you gotta take two of these. You gotta take two punches because you flinched. That was oh, stupid. Nah, nah, I'm not doing that. I never played that, but my reflexes when I was a kid were very bad. Like I was on edge a lot. So I would just punch someone off the face, right in the face off rip. It would have been all bad. Yeah, see, I think a lot of challenges are just really... See, the other thing was, it wasn't a challenge that you were allowed to accept, right? It just happened. Like, two for flinching, like, if I was just walking around, somebody, like, flinched on me and I flinched, you just get hit. You know, like, frogs, stuff like that. Like, you just accepted those challenges. There was no, like, do you consent to me punching you in the arm two times? So it wasn't none of that. You just took it. These kids are accepting challenges that you know you won't get messed up. You know you're going to fall off these damn milk crates. And they're like, yeah, I'll take the challenge. And again, every time I see stuff like this, it just makes me feel old. I'm like, man, I, yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do no dumb shit like that, though. We don't need a reason to do dumb shit. People have been doing dumb shit forever. Like, not adults, necessarily. But it reminds me of the episode of The League when they brought back the Scroat Squad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was just two days of hitting each other in the nuts and Rafi was going crazy. Like, it's just, like, dumb shit sometimes. You'd be like, yo, why are you hitting each other in the nuts? There's no rhyme or reason for this. None. It's just, no, no, just dumb shit guys do so i get this to a degree but now people doing it just to go viral i guarantee you by the time next week comes someone's gonna do like an ultimate pyramid stack where it's like three times higher than the challenge is now and they're gonna try to fucking cartwheel down the other side break their leg and it's gonna be like oh my god i feel so bad for them like no people are just going to escalate this dumb shit it's going to be like a Lucha Underground had a bunch of those like wild fucking structures during their matches yeah, to do yeah. dumb shit off of. This is what it's going to be, except nobody is Prince Puma. No. Everyone's going to get hurt on this shit. So I, I see the future here and it's a bunch of dumb shit. 
So yeah, it felt like we had to at least talk about that. But what we're here to talk about is the continuation of our weekend. Because believe it or not, in three hours, we couldn't get through it all. So we had to break this up, which was good because this flowed more into the boxing aspect. So to pick up from where we left off, Bianca Belair was squashed in her match. That was done. Quick, fast, 27 seconds. You're like, let's get the fuck out of here. I was like, cool. So we're, we're trying to leave. Can't get no drinks at T-Mobile or nothing. Parched. We're like, all right. Or excuse me, at Allegiant Stadium. Like, all right, let's head to T-Mobile. At this point, we're trying to figure out a way to do some like crazy video game movie type shit. Swoop through the back lot, pick up Big E, swoop out, beat traffic and get to the fight. Thankfully, Big E and his rolly suitcase on the string got a ride and met us over there. So when we get there, I think this is my first time meeting E in person. And it's hilarious because I'm walking up and I'm like, two things strike me. One, this man is as wide as he is tall. Because <laughs> on TV, he looks mad tall. Mm-mm. Or he doesn't look like, you know, that different than like the really big guys. He kind of like looks like a giant on TV. It's like, nah, he's like 5'11", six foot. But this motherfucker's wide. He's like six foot wide. The, the pecs are pecking in real life. So I was like, all right, this dude, this wide-ass dude. And then when I'm walking up, I'm like, he is wearing a DMX t-shirt and sweats That's to the bad. fight. <laughs> <laughs> to the fight. I was like, you know what? This is fight night attire. I love it. <laughs> so walking up, man, the coolest guy, the nicest person, obviously, like in real life. I'll let you take it from there, though, because shit gets funny after that. I mean, it was, yeah, obviously you had to get E down there. And the funny part is we got to leave. And he's got to get to, you know, he's got to get his ticket to the fight. Um, we had, if everybody's seen on social media, D- Demetria Ovalor, who apparently everybody gushes over. Uh, I got her and E tickets to the fight. And I was like, hey, you guys find sitting together? Cool. They never met. Had him sitting together. Had a, Demetri had to be dropped off because traffic was crazy. And he had to get from Allegiant to T-Mobile. The funny part about this is, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that I can't talk about that happened backstage. You know, you, gotta, you have to keep some kayfabe. Yeah. But he was like, yo, I'll, yeah, I'll just go with you, right? And I'm like, dog, you cannot leave Allegiant Stadium before the night's over with people thinking you still might cash in. <laughs> <laughs> that was the hardest part of this whole thing. Because I'm like, no, you can't be seen, you know, thinking you might cash in. And here's E walking with two jabronis just walking out of the stadium to the parking lot. It, it won't work. And he's like, I, you know, he calls me. He's like, I guess you're right. I'm like, no shit. Like, you can't, like, you can't do this. Like, you have, and I can't drive up to get you. He does get a ride. We're all trying to get there. Like, I have to change clothes. I got to change out of my wrestling gear to my fight night gear. And we all get there. Now, <laughs> full wardrobe change by the way people he had a full wardrobe change went from wrestling mode to pretty and pink he had the the pink polo just fresh or was hey. a pink button up fresh yeah. pulled out the jays the gray and pink joint fresh i was like okay i'm just gonna change my shirt <laughs> like i was like all right man whatever you want to yeah, do i had to switch it up so as we got down there now the challenge is all right we, we got to park 
Now, if you know Vegas, Vegas has like parking lights and they tell you how many spots are open. This shit ain't work. It says he said we have 150 spots open. Motherfucker, they didn't. So we ended up in this parking lot for like 20 minutes trying to find a place to park. We finally get down there. Things work out. E's there. Demetrius there. We're both there. Now, E has his gear in a bag. His suitcase, and he's got this. He has a suitcase. Now I, I wouldn't even call it a suitcase. <laughs> so for I don't I don't even know how this came up. Several months ago, we were on a we were on a group chat. And no, it was a Zoom call. And we were talking about like how you take your shit around, like, you know, how do you carry that briefcase, right? And he was like, Well, I'll put it in my suitcase. And I was like, Does it fit in your suitcase? He's like, Yeah. And he shows me this picture. And I'm like, Is that a rope on your suitcase? He's like, Oh, yeah, my handle broke and I refuse to buy a new one. And I'm like, But you're rich. Go buy a suitcase, man. And he's like, No, I will not allow you to do that to me. That's how he tells. I will not allow you to do that to me. You cannot tell me what to do. I will politely refrain from accepting your gift. That's E. That is E. And I'm like, no, man, you got to get a suitcase. This is this is ridiculous. So he, I've seen what this thing looks like, and it is atrocious. The handle's broke, and there's literally a small rope that he uses to drag this shit around. I'd be a shoelace. It's it's a small rope. I asked him. I was like, oh, oh it's not a shoelace. It's a small rope. And this is how I, also how I knew. So early in the day, we had brunch and we like me, Kaz, we were making fun of him. So he brings this shit here. And I'm like, all right, you got to put your stuff in my car because I'm going to take you to the airport after the fight. And he had a backpack in his bag. And that's where his suitcase, that's where the briefcase is. And I leave him with Demetria. And I'm like, stay here. I'm going to take your shit back. I forget this fool has a string on his suitcase. And we have to carry this shit on a fight night through the parking lot with his mad people. And I look poor. Like, like I'm, all, I'm not already not on this level, but I, I, I look poor. I'm dragging a suitcase by the string through the parking lot. Everybody's like, this broke-ass motherfucker. Like, yeah, I'm all dressed up. I got a suitcase and a string. We do that. We drop it off. We get the tickets. Get them the tickets. Uh, Kel's bright ideas to go in with everybody else. That doesn't work. We had to walk around, whatever. Uh, but we got to our seats, and they got to their seats, and it was fight night. And they, I think, I don't think they were on TV side. I think they were on the other side. So I don't think you could have seen them on the hard cam. They were like in the third row. Which is good. Because you don't want E hard cam. Because one thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, let alone that Mania, or excuse me, SummerSlam went like two hours over. Right? They're like, oh, we're going to try to end it by eight. It was going to like 9.30. So, the main event's there. You At this point, I'm sure Brock is coming out. People are still wondering, like, yo, could he cash in? Like, you never know. You can just no. have three meaty men in the ring ready to bump meat. Like, you, you don't know. So people are still wondering, like, oh, my God, how many more things are going to happen? And if the camera would have caught E to sit in third row in his DMX t-shirt. <laughs> with Demetria. With Demetria. Demetria. You got to add, add that part. Yo, oh, my God. The dirt sheets would have had a field day. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone would have been like, is that big E at the fight? Sure. And she had a lime green dress on or some shit. So it was like, oh yeah, she couldn't, she could not be missed. Like Demetria could not be missed. So he at least wore all black in yeah, his DMX like, shirt, like incognito. If she was hard campside, like it would have been a wrap. There was no way they were gonna get out of this. And then I probably would have been banned from every WWE event known to man. It would have been my fault. It would have been all my sneak fault. E out of here. Yeah, I snuck him out. Like we're walking through the crowd. And I think a couple people knows who he was because he sat, he stood in valet for a long time. 
Like he was in valet just hanging out. But, it, you know, two things happened. One, it's fight night. So I guess some of these people didn't watch the fight. I mean, don't watch wrestling. And two, was, he had Dimitri with him. So he was the least of anybody's concerns that night. Everybody was on her. Like people were taking pictures with her, which not us. So I, I, I can't even think of what else. I know some other shit happened. It's Incognito E. <laughs> in a DMX shirt, though. In a DMX t-shirt. Yeah, so we get... So we're chilling. Now at this point, it's time to work, right? So there's some good fights on the undercard. Get a good knockout. I'm sorry. Um, I, I'm giving myself away, but I, I didn't... I, I watched the Robert Guerrero fight, like part of it. Well, I had I, to post from my phone, but that's all the reason I knew. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I watched the entire Robert Guerrero fight. Wish I hadn't. That fight was horrible. Saw the entire thing from round one all the way through. They had one exchange at the end of round two. That was like, oh, shit, this is going to be good. And then, no, they look like two men who haven't fought in three and four years. That sounds about right. It's yep. accurate. So uh wasn't good at all. Then we get to the main event. Pacquiao. I feel like I'll get to the rest at that, I guess. So we'll go through the fight itself. Pacquiao coming out. Building was 80% Pacquiao fans. Yeah. 80%? At least 80%. I'd say. I'd say like 90. I'd say 100%. I don't think there was a single Ugas fan in the <laughs> No, I'm saying 80 because this is where, before we dive into the fight itself. Oh. I'm saying 80, and I might be generous, 70% Pacquiao fans. 30% urban loiterers who couldn't get their money back for Spence. And I was like, fuck it. It's Vegas. I'm going anyway. Yeah. Because... There were some colorful outfits at this event. If you call them outfits. <laughs> we're walking up. There's another thing. We're walking up to maybe me, E, or me and you were walking inside um, at one point, like by ourselves. And we're walking. And I'm like, yo, when did undergarments go out of style? You literally said that, too. Like, <laughs> like there's no more bras there's no panties. And listen, there's a woman. If you can rock it, rock it, right? Like, cool, the bo- your body's nice, whatever. But at a certain point, like, yo, I'm going to see everything. Like, you got, like, no panties. She had no panties. And this, this strip down the whole side, her whole right side of her body, which came from, like, mid-thigh in the front to mid-thigh in the back, was open. And they just had a little, like, lace covering it every, like, I don't know six inches all the way down. No nothing. So you can see clear as day. She don't got shit on underneath that. I'm like, yo, Ma, if you if you move the wrong way or you lift your leg up too high, you showing everything. And she was just prancing. Dolo. Like, it wasn't in the crowd walking by herself to this fight. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? But we kind of saw that all weekend. We thought a lot of them were wrestling fans. And then when we got to the fight, we're like, yo, like the Spence crowd still kind of showed up. There was a good amount of urban loitering. It was a dude when we were in press row beefing behind us. Oh, you did see that. I saw that too. (laughs) He was getting loud. I was like, yo, my brother, you making it hot. Cause you know, like at this point, a black person, he's getting loud with security. I don't know what security did to him. And he was like, yo, just let me go to my seat. I don't need my ticket, blah, blah. And it got loud. And as what maybe there's like four it's boxing so maybe there's like four black people in media roles um in in the real like in the 
media bleachers because everyone else sits up on top. So maybe there's three or four black people. I might be exact. It might have just been me and Dre in this whole section. You might be right. I don't think. Um, other, any other oh, black Brian people. from oh, yeah. Counter. Yeah. yeah, shout out to Brian. So three of us, three black people. And the black guy starts getting loud. And I did one of those like, yo, let me just look down on my laptop because I know everyone's going to look at us like we know what's going on. Like, listen, yeah. I don't know what's going on back there. Don't act like, don't look at me. Look at the black man getting loud. So it was like one of those, like, I ain't helping him, man. Like, he's on his own. We brothers, but we ain't brothers. Like, I'm, I'm here to work, my guy. So that that was crazy. Um, yeah, like I mentioned, we we were at the MGM, and there's, like, little kids around because there's, like, a, a fan fest for, like, SummerSlam or whatever. Not a fan fest, but, like, uh, the fan shops to buy the super, shit. The superstore. Superstore is there, all this stuff. And women just titties out. What like I could, you could see everything, everything through their shirt. Like, I'm like, yo, no one wears a bra anymore. I saw a woman pushing a stroller with like a five-year-old walking behind her in a in a tank top, boobies out. I'm like, Ma, you just walking through the MGM, kitted up, showing areola? Like, what what are we in? 2021 is a wild play. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's a Pacquiao fight, which is, you know, it's still bigger than your average fight. But without Spence, you would think, oh, this is going to be tame. It's going to be tame. No, nope. people are like, I'm going to Vegas, motherfucker. Like, it, 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 I don't care who fighting. I already done bought these tickets. I'm about to act out. I done seen gold chains. I done seen, I done seen everything. Oh, the guys were looking crazy. Yeah, it's I, and, and jewelry. You know, I wanted a chain for a second. I didn't tell you, but uh, <laughs> yeah, because I was like, yo, if I'm going like shirt off the whole summer, maybe I get like a chain or something, you know, just just a little something, something. But I ended up buying the wife, uh, you know, the new wedding ring, which is gaudy now that I see it in person. But I was like, yo, fuck it, I'm just gonna buy her an insanely big diamond. Um, but for a second, I was like, I either want a bottom grill or a chain. Like, fuck it. Like, a chain just looks dope. Maybe I look in again the chain. Like, a tennis, like, joint. And after this week, nah, I can't be that guy. Can't be that guy. Because, like, I just now see the guys who have it. I'm just like, like, yo, fam, you were just asking us if we had more tickets 15 minutes ago. Hey, man. Now you're on the IG Live, like, faking the funk like you in the building with your chain on. They don't want to see. They want to be seen, man. And that's that's what a lot of that was. And because it wasn't in the MGM Grand, if you've been to T-Mobile, T-Mobile's in arenas outside, it was like, yo, there was mad people just, like, hanging out. And it was just – it was reckless. And, I mean, on top of that, you know, they're like, Wale had an after party that we were just too spent to go. Yeah. Um, I just – it was a lot going on, man. It was, it was a busy night, but you, the urban loitering was truly in effect. And it was a lot of urban loitering in a, to a degree for SummerSlam weekend in general. A lot of black people in town. It a lot was of black people, a lot yeah. of titties out, a lot of designer belt buckles that didn't match the designer jeans. There was a lot. And then there was me in my black ultra boost. So yeah, listen, you, I, you just, you just yeah. refuse to buy like sneakers. I'm going to buy a pair of sneakers too. All right. I told you this. I told you if if our moves, whenever we can announce them, come to fruition and it's looking good, I will buy a pair of sneakers. Um, so I'm looking into that. I'm trying to figure out what sneakers I would like to buy. I, I already know I'm buying two for, for me, but they're not sneakers that are like publicly, um, I don't want to say acceptable, 
but they're not like lauded. Like if I buy these sneakers, people are like, oh, that doesn't count. So I'm going to buy like a pair of Jordans. And I don't even know what size I am. I don't know where I'm going to wear them. But I'll buy like a pair of Jordans just to have them. Like I just have my Tims. So that's, okay. that's you know, that's uh, that's my goal. So real quick, we got to get to the Manny Pacquiao fight. But I want to talk to ins and outs of the fight and boxing. So let's hit the break. When we come back, we'll jump right into that. You guys don't go anywhere. Be right back after this. Hey, everyone. It's Lindsay Rhodes, and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show. Fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, as promised, right back, diving right back into the fight itself after a brief detour in urban loitering that we just had. So Manny Pacquiao's coming to the ring. The 70 to 80% of his fans are losing their mind. We get the whole pageant machine, all the walk. But even then, it felt like we might be seeing this for the last time. Win or lose like that, that was just in the air the whole time. So then he gets to the ring. One thing with Ugas, credit to him, he wasn't, he wasn't shook in any way. Like he looked calm, which the moment sometimes gets to people. And especially late notice fight and everything. So the perception was, oh, okay, we're going to have a fight. And the fight begins and Ugas from jump shows that he knows what he has to do to get this fight in his favor. He doesn't want to exchange a lot. He wants to stay on the outside, but his accuracy ended up being the difference in this fight from start to finish. His jab landed at will against Manny Pacquiao. Manny couldn't stop the right hand when he came in. There was so much, and I understand Manny was preparing for a southpaw like himself and then went to an orthodox fighter, but he, Manny's fought many people who were orthodox before. Um, Thurman as well. So like, it, it's kind of like fighting a Keith Thurman clone. Like it's like the last fight you had, but what Keith Thurman couldn't do early in the fight and figured out later in the fight, Ugas did from the opening bell, kept Manny at length hit when he came in, countered him with the right hand and Manny got off combinations, but he had to throw double the amount of punches to even land stuff. The distance and trying to close the distance and get on the inside seemed impossible at times for Manny and even when he hit Ugas clean and, and hard, Ugas may stumble a little bit, but he knew early on he was not scared of Manny Pacquiao's power. So we had the back and forth throughout the fight. It's hard to go round by round because everyone saw each round differently and the cards were all over the place. At one point, someone had the fight like eight to three Pacquiao coming oh, down wow. the stretch. <laughs> I don't know. Twitter was a wild place. But you through six, they were dead even and punches landed. But Manny had thrown 130 more punches. So the accuracy, much like we saw in the Floyd fight, his percentage, I believe this was the lowest percentage he's landed since the Floyd fight, which was around 13, 15%. He just had to work so hard to get so little. So when the scorecards came out at the end, I thought it was pretty clear that Ugas had won the fight. You, 
um, kind of scored it via Twitter and social media. You were like, no, Ugas won this fight. And people were like, well, you know, the judges might see differently. Like we're in Vegas, all this stuff. But no, a unanimous decision. The right man won. Ugas pulls the upset, even though he's a champion. Yes, it was still an upset over Manny Pacquiao in what I would say dominant fashion. But you told me about this last week. You told me it wouldn't be an easy opponent for him. And on fight night, you were right. Yeah, it's it's uh I said from the jump, he was like, This is the perfect opponent. I was like, this is the worst opponent for Manny Pacquiao, the absolute worst opponent possible. A high risk, low reward opponent who nobody really knows that people think Manny Pacquiao should be, when that's absolutely not the case. Cuban amateur fighter who is yeah, Cuban amateurs are very good with timing. They're very good with their jab. They're very good at being elusive. Ugas is a little bit more aggressive than other Cuban fighters, but they're economical and they know when to use their punches. And my issue is I picked Pacquiao to win, but I said the problem would be is if Ugas couldn't figure out Pacquiao quick enough. He figured him out from the jump. Not to mention this was Pacquiao's longest layoff of his career. And to have a long layoff into your 40s, yeah, your legs might be a little different. And Ugas used that sharp jab. That right hand just simply couldn't miss. Yeah, I think if Ugas threw it a little bit more, he could have hurt man. He didn't throw it that much. But he threw it enough. Like, some people had this fight close. I didn't. And I'm, I know my scorecard was a little wider than others. But I value accuracy, and I value moving a motherfucker. <laughs> That's what Ugas did. Every time he hit Manny, Manny would move. Like, that right hand, he had him stumbling back quite a few times. I don't remember Pacquiao doing much of anything that affected Ugas. Every time he came in, Ugas gave him something on the way out. He's like, all right, you come in here with that wild shit, I'll give you a gift on the way out. It was either a right hand, jab to the gut, counter left, like whatever it was, Ugas was, had something for him. But I'm not surprised by this result. I'm not surprised. The one thing that I will say, though, is Errol would have killed Manny. Like Errol would have put, like, I think Errol might have finished Manny Pacquiao if that fight would have happened. Yeah, I, I think that that was clear because Manny had to do a lot of work to land offensively. He couldn't do shit defensively in this fight. No, there's nothing he can do. Like, Manny's not a great defensive fighter. His defense is his offense. And the angles that he cuts and the speed that he uses in and out movement is what he does to keep fighters off balance. But he's not a, a defensive wizard by any stretch of the imagination. So if you could figure out how to either get Manny coming in or going out, you can win this fight because he doesn't move well laterally. He moves in and out. Yep. And when he, when he does that, if you can time when he's coming in, which it took Marquez four fights to do before he knocked him senseless, <laughs> but once you get that timing down, you have his number. Floyd is a different beast entirely. Floyd picked it up quick. Only took him around. We can talk about Manny's shoulder. You can talk about all that, but Floyd was sharp. And it's the jab. Manny's always been susceptible to jabs. He's, he's never... Like, he's good against opponents who he can split their guard. When he fought Miguel Cotto, a lot of people picked Cotto. I said no, because Cotto gets hit down the middle way too much. And Manny went down the middle on Miguel, and Miguel couldn't do nothing about it. But if you can keep your guard up, and you can time Manny coming in, because if you hit him, it'll make him think twice, that's exactly what happened. Manny was hesitant. There was nothing he can do. So now Ugas wins... And more importantly, as we talk about his future in a second here, but the most interesting thing to me is, man, he's not good at 147 pounds. This is not the right weight class for him. Never has been, never will be. He's too small. He's he, like, he, the power doesn't carry up. I think he only has three knockouts as a uh, welterweight. Yep. 
And like you couldn't knock out Adrian Brody, you couldn't knock out Keith Thurman. And, and to be honest with you, when you fought Keith, if you, that knockdown and once Keith figured you out, it was a close fight. Keith had all that ring rust he had to shake off. So Manny's just he, 147 is just not a good weight class for him. As much as he likes challenges and competition, it's not there. He's too small. It's definitely not there at this age. When he was younger, again, you're he was fast enough to get away with it, to go yeah. in and out, to out, you know, to out slick people, to shock them. He had the flash knockdown. Even like against Thurman, flash knockdown, but he didn't hurt Keith. Keith got back up and, and the fight was going. But he's been flash knocking people down forever, it seems like. When he's in there, I'd say from 35 on, it just got to be the talent gap with everyone didn't close. Like people weren't catching him in talent gap. It's just he wasn't the same because people's size now mattered more. And when you can't move as fast to negate that size, then you can see why this weight class is what it is and why a guy who came up from, what, 112 pounds originally getting to welterweight was beyond comprehension because these guys are big as hell. So when you can't move like that anymore, yeah, you're you're not supposed to be competing at that weight class. Well, okay, so Manny Pacquiao is 13-5 and five with three knockouts in the welterweight division. In other weight classes, 140 is 1-0 with a knockout. 135 is 1-0 with a knockout. 130 is 7-1 with four knockouts. 126 is 2-0-1 with two knockouts. At 122, he's 11-0 with 11 knockouts. At 154, he's 1-0. That was a Margarito fight. And then at 112, he's 26-2 with 17 knockouts. 147 ain't his weight class. It's not even the age. He did not remember. He did knock out anybody for a decade. Yeah, that's tough. It's 147 pounds. The person he did knock out was Miguel Cotto. We stopped and Lucas Matisse was absolutely washed up. He's too small. He's always been too small. Like I didn't think he'd knock Ugas out. I thought he would outpoint him by Ugas not being able to figure him out. Yep. But he's too small. He needs to be at 40. Like he eats at 47, right? Like he doesn't cut. He eats. He's just, he's too small. And you saw it in his fight. Ugas just looked like, I think he had three and a half inch height and two inch reach advantage. Yeah. And Arrow would have had an even bigger reach advantage and an even better jab. Arrow would have dusted him. So, Manny's about to be 43. You know, we can, we can kind of talk about... Let's talk about the welterweight division before we talk about the future of Manny Pacquiao. The welterweight division is now an absolute mess. Um, no. The picture is clearer. The future of Manny Pacquiao can throw this shit into a complete spiral. But... The future is clearer now because now we have a four-person, it should be, tournament and race to the Undisputed Championship with Sean Porter and Terrence Crawford about to go to purse bid. And that fight is going to happen because Crawford's not going to vacate that title. And then you have Spence returning to fight Ugas when he is healthy. And that is three titles right there. And then theoretically... Bud Crawford is now a free agent. No one can say anymore that top rank is holding him back. He can go out, sign with no one, and say, I'm going to take the Spence fight and then figure out where I want to go. It's very easy to do. There's no more hurdles. This is clear as it's been since Floyd got there. 
Like it, it's it's as clear as it's been since two thousand five. Like since the Delahoya, like all that. Clear as it's been since then. I, I get what you're saying. The reason why I say it's a mess is because Arrow would have been a made man if he beat Manny Pacquiao, oh, and he would have easily been the top dog in the division, a pay per view star and the best fighter in the division. Terrence Crawford doesn't have a Manny Pacquiao on his record. Arrow would have. Arrow would have said also. I'm the big draw now. I'm the champ. Whether he wants to unify or not is up to him. Everything would have ran through Errol Spence. Now everything kind of runs through everybody. Like, Bud being a free agent doesn't mean that he'll go, well, Errol, let's fight, and I'll 50-50 it. Like, there could still be some nonsensical contract negotiations in that fight. If Errol wins, Bud wouldn't like it, but you have to concede, like, Errol's the man in the division. He's the A-side. He's the A-side in any fight he takes. Now it's like, yeah, Crawford be the ace out against Porter. Crawford could lose that fight, I, like against against Sean Porter. There's oh, he definitely could. Absolutely, yeah, I absolutely see Sean Porter he, finding a way to beat Terrence Crawford. Ugas is in a spot where, I said it, the Zier Rahim spot. You beat the guy when Zier Rahim beat Eric Morales, and then you become a trivia question because nobody remembers who you are because nobody really wants to fight him. Nobody's nobody's running to fight Ugas. Ugas got no rub from beating Manny Pacquiao. No, Arrow like, will definitely take that belt. Yeah, like he, but he might because we don't know if Arrow's going to stay at forty-seven. Yeah, we, who knows how long he's going to be out with this eye injury? If he's out for, let's just say he's out for six months, who's to say that he could squeeze back down to forty-seven? Yeah, he's already dealt with an injury once. He might be gone, right? So now he leaves. The winner of Sean Porter maybe fighting Ugas or the other titles. Now the WBC and the IBF will be vacated. It's a mess. That becomes a mess to... if he leaves. Yeah, and, and he could. So it's a. I get. I agree with you. Like now, it's like all right. There's ways to easily unify. Like Terrence does this. Terrence fights Sean. Errol fights Ugas. Those two winners fight each other. Yeah, in a perfect world that makes sense. But knowing where Errol's at in his career and his size, I don't know if he stays. I don't know if Bud beat Sean, and then we have another Bud Ugas. Like, who the hell wants to fight Ugas? Like, I don't know. Yeah, uh, uh, Manny might want to fight Ugas. He came out today. He has a rematch clause in there that he has to, I guess, accept by November, and then the fight would be in January. Um, mid presidential campaign, but he's not doing that. Pride is a mofo, and he says again, Manny. I can pull up the quote from today from Pacquiao. And it says, in my entire career, Ugas was one of the easiest opponents. He had only one style and I should have been able to easily move away. You've seen how I've moved in my fights before. I couldn't move in this fight. My, in this fight, my leg just stopped. And earlier after the fight, said he had cramps in both legs and he could not move in and out. I don't want to hear Pride that. is a mofo. And if he really believes that, you can go back out there and prove it. Okay, so two things. One, if he's running for president, he's not taking that fight. That's out at 100% out. He won't be able to train a lot of time between January and May. Nah, he, but yeah, I mean, it have to be an immediate rematch Two, If I'm Freddie Roach, Manny Pacquiao's never fighting at 147 pounds again. I don't care what Manny says. Yeah. Now, obviously Manny isn't, uh, Freddie isn't Manny's manager. Sean Gibbons would, you know, have that conversation, but there's no reason for Manny to fight at 47. The reality is he needs to fight at 40. You know, he needs to fight. Mikey goddamn Garcia. That's who you need to fight. 
Yeah. Or anybody at 140. Yo, Look, Josh man. Taylor said, like, That's let's get it. He said, let's do it. You are my idol. Man, he could literally fight for all of the belts at 140 because Taylor's not turning that down. And Bob Arum, damn sure ain't turning that down. Bob was like, right. what? He'd been you wanting that one fight. He could do that Taylor fight in the UK and print money. You could do that fight overseas and, man, he can make a, a ton of money. Right. You can yeah. do a pay-per-view fight overseas because, you know, Josh Taylor is technically the A side with having all the titles. You do that, you clean house. But at 40, there's just so many options for Manny that are winnable because, you know, remember, he'll be 43 by the time he has his next fight. Yeah. One thing I don't like to hear about Manny Pacquiao's excuses. As nice as these, he supposedly is, this motherfucker has a lot of excuses. Ton of them. <laughs> Ton. I want to hear about your legs cramping. I, dog, you just got beat. He's you a politician beat. through and through. Yeah, like you got beat, but 47 is no place for Manny Pacquiao. The power doesn't carry. He's too small. He's he's only had a one fight at 140 pounds, and that was Ricky Hatton, and he blew his face off. So fight somebody at 140 who maybe you could be because it's still no guarantee you beat Josh Taylor. Like, it's, seriously? There's really no guarantee for that, yeah. But it's as close as you get to adding a legacy fight. Like – Going and just automatically becoming undisputed with one fight is, is definitely it's it's tempting. It gotta be easier than Spence. But I said that about Ugas. Yeah. He, he just has to be honest about where he is at in his career. Yeah. I, but it, it's hard. Like you said, pride is something else. It's like Ric Flair, right? It's like Ric Flair in pro wrestling. He just won't fucking go away. Because it's really all he knows. As much as Ric Flair is like, oh, I'm going to retire. I got kicked in the face by Shawn Michaels. And here he is still running around doing stuff. So it's like when you look at Manny Pacquiao, when we talked to him on Wednesday, he said, I don't like to say retire because I don't know if I'm ever going to really retire. And at least he's honest with himself to the point where you can say, yeah, I'd like to say I'm going to retire, but I get that itch to fight again. And if I got the itch, I'm going to scratch it. And that's what Manny Pacquiao does. He could definitely fight in January. If he wants, he didn't take a lot of damage. He can absolutely do that. But if you run for president, like you're not fighting after that. So it has to be in January. Regis program, Mikey Garcia. Mikey's talking about a tune-up fight. Maybe fight Regis program. I don't know. I just don't know who the opponent is. I know as much like he's gonna want that win back against Ugas. I think it's a terrible idea. Who knows? Who fucking tell me anything? No, I mean you can't tell him shit. But again, if you, I think he's gonna want that. And it's going to be pride instead of going the better route. And that's yeah. what it comes down to. There's better options, but his pride's going to fuck him. And going off with two losses, again, Ugas, it's not like he was figuring Ugas out in round 10, 11, and 12. Ugas could hurt him. In a it's second. Possible. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know what? Let's take our last break now. We were going to talk about UFC, but not a ton of shit went on during that. So we'll push that to our next show and we'll kind of wrap up UFC the past two weeks um, as a whole on the next show. Instead, we'll take our break, come back and preview the Jake Paul fight that you're on your way to, which is why we got to keep this episode a normal time, not three hours. So we, let's take this break now, come back and make the final segment all about Jake Paul in this weekend's fight. You guys don't go anywhere. Be right back after this.
We'll get right back to the show in a second. But first, the wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be able to be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads to totals to teams, player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, everyone, we are back to wrap up the show. Time to preview Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley that is happening this Sunday. Weird when fights happen on Sunday. I don't know why Showtime loves this. Uh, I feel like WWE moved their pay-per-views from Sunday to Saturday because they know people have more time. I don't know why you would do the opposite, move from Saturday to the big fight day to now hosting these things on Sunday, let alone in Cleveland, Ohio. Dre, are you excited about Cleveland? Did people come through with these suggestions to have fun? Yeah, man. Obviously, uh, I put the uh, the APB out. I was like, yo, I'm going to Cleveland. What the fuck's going on? And a lot of people were like, nothing. And then people were, there were a few people gave me some spots. Like, I guess there's a grilled cheese spot called Melt that everybody's talked about. Like, apparently, it's some good Mexican food. Okay. All right. I live in the West Coast. I will try <laughs> it out. Yeah, I mean, what, like, dog, when people in New York was like, you got to try this Mexican food. I'm like, yeah, okay. Seriously? You all right, so usually there's not, but I'm gonna give it a shot. So, there's a I found some things to do. Uh, me, I think me and Damon Martin from MMA Fighter are gonna go to the Haunted House restaurant because we like goofy shit like that after the press conference tomorrow. Grant, as long as I don't have anything to do, probably gonna go to the Indians Red Sox game with some people from Showtime. So, uh, yeah, um, I'll, I'll find something to get into for the most part. I'm taking my Xbox Series S with me. Uh, Psychonauts just came out. The Ascent just came out. I got my MLB The Show uh, playing a game called Wasteland. I'm going to be in my room playing video games for the most part. So. <laughs> that is typical, Dre. I'm sure you'll bring the Switch for the flight. Yes, I have my Switch packed. It's it's ready to go. Uh, so, yeah, I have my Switch for the flight. And I'm fi- flying first class like a jiggy man should. Oh, um, okay. Fancy first class to Ohio. I was like, yo. I looked at it and I looked at the cost and I was like, ah, because I usually don't take a, a large bag with me, but I, I decided like one of my boys, like there's a sneaker spot. And I was like, oh, well, I need a bigger bag than this. And I don't like carrying my bags through the airport anyway. So I'm going to check my bag. And they offered the first class upgrade. I was like, I'm, I'm going to take it. Plus it's COVID. So it really makes sense for me to fly first class. I don't want to be around like yeah. regular people sneezing on me. So I understand. I'm, I'm the king of comfort plus now. Yeah. You know, not, not quite first class. But not with the peasants. Just nah, it's just like, you know, I, I don't mind. Like, I fly southwest a lot, especially on the west coast, just because it's very convenient. You take your two bags free. I don't really care that much. But with COVID, I'm like, yo, I need space. I don't want a bunch of people sitting next to me and all that shit. I'm be masked up for this whole flight. So, I, you know, I fly out. I'm taking a red eye. I get there. I hit the ground running in Cleveland. Um, the fight's on Sunday, which is like throwing everybody off. Uh but I'm ready. I'm ready for this, this week. This is my first time on an airplane since fe- mid-February last year. 
the longest I've ever not been on a flight since like I was in school. Damn. Yeah. Crazy, crazy long since I've been on a flight. Yeah. That's you're not missing anything. I've taken a lot of flights. I had to move back out here. Was, I've been on plane too much uh, to be honest. So yeah, I'm, I don't have to be, Oh no, that's a lie. I'm flying out. I forgot what week this was. I'm flying on Friday. Cause I'm in a wedding in New York. See? So I'm flying to the wedding. That's why I won't be at the Paul fight in Cleveland with you. Um, no, I'll be in New York at a wedding and the wedding is on Sunday. So at first I was like, perfect. Jake Paul's going to fight on Saturday. I can cover the fight. Everything's good. Got the wedding on Sunday. Nope. Is it the exact same time as the fight? So, um, people at the job will be holding it down for me. This is the first fight I have missed while being at ESPN. Of all the fights, of all the fights you missed. All the fights. This will be my first fight that I'm missing. And in fact, this will probably be the, this will be the third time, only the third time that someone other than myself has posted to the ESPN ringside account. Every post except for two in the past year and a half have come through my phone. So it's one of those things where people are like, oh, you should take a break. You take vacation. Like, I don't like that. I like working. Um, but on the other hand, like, it's also giving me like a little bit of paranoia because I won't be around to like see what is posted. And yeah. it like freaks me out. Yeah. So I'll be checking my phone during the wedding reception. Like, I am paranoid. Yeah, fuck that. I used to be like you once upon a time where I'd be like, oh, I can't take a vacation and I'm worried about this shit. Now, you know what I do? <laughs> Cover yours, kids. Fuck that shit. I don't, <laughs> when I take a break, I don't answer phones. I don't you answer break. <laughs> I break. I break. Like, I, I don't care. Like I, like, I really don't care what happens. Like, I have, I have Slack on my phone. And sometimes I forget to put my away message on and people will be like sending me messages in our company Slack. And I don't care what it is. I just ignore it. Like, my days off are my days off. I can't do it. You're going to a wedding? Get off that goddamn phone. Uh, I've gone. I've taken vacations. Like I've been to Mexico. I've been places. Um, once I got vaxxed, I was like, yeah, fuck this. I'm going somewhere. So I've taken vacations. I worked for an entire three weeks out of Puerto Rico last summer, um, mid Rona and just quarantined over there. Like I, I've been places, but I work every day I, on vacation. I'll wake up and I'll just knock out like three hours that, of work. And then that's, that's not a, vacation and i know this is taking a turn because we're supposed to be talking about this <laughs> fight but no, that's not a vacation i'm telling you this now for somebody who has done this industry for like both these industries with music and this for as long as i have take a vacation you do you not think want it to- doesn't comfort me dude i'm telling there's you there's a lot of time in the day when you don't work i get very antsy yeah i get very antsy and i find other shit to do that's fun trust me that work will still be there if you're not whether you're there or not the work will still still be there ain't going nowhere Take yes. when you take a vacation. More <laughs> importantly, more importantly, and any woman that listens to this podcast, every any married person that listens to this podcast will understand this. Your significant other, while they say they they can deal with it and they will, at a certain point they're gonna get tired of that shit. Take a vacation. See, difference is my wife entered into my workaholic mode and is completely used to this. Okay, um, she I'm, doesn't I'm know you. any other way. It's one of those situations where I'm very lucky. Because, yeah, she doesn't know any other way, and which is why she is my wife. Because it takes a very special person to put up with the amount of time I spend working. I am telling you right now, she likes it, but she would like it more if you were present. Probably. Probably. But and what, and what is this doing for you? I'm just saying, what is this doing for you? 
Like, what do you do on your day off that you worked that you get extra credit for? No, nothing. It's just like, and again, people at work tell me not to work. Like, it's not like they're like, yo, blah, blah, blah. but no, I can't. Like, I'll find periods of time. Like, and I'm telling you, I go on vacation and we have fun, but there's 24 hours in a day. Maybe we sleep when we're on vacation, like five hours. So there's 19 hours. I find like, we'll come back. The wife will hit like the shower before we go to dinner and all that stuff. She'll just want to freshen up her makeup, her hair. My shower will be five minutes. I'll be laying on the bed, laptop open. Cool. Quick hour, hour and a half of work because there ain't shit for else for me to do. Like, I don't know what else I would do besides what search Twitter, which then just gives me ideas for work. So I just, I can't, I can't turn it off. I've tried people tell me they'll try, but it's not fun to me to switch my brain off of working or in the pod. I go places. I take all, if I go on vacation, I take all this shit for the pod with me and we record podcasts while I'm on vacation. It's never like, yo, Dre, I can't do this. I'm on vacation. No, like, I've unfortunately conditioned myself like this to the point where it feels normal and I feel good about it. Like I've, I've tricked my brain into thinking that. So if yeah. I don't work, I, I get like this sense of paranoia, but this is like my first time with that real heightened sense of paranoia where I'm like, yo, I'm not on the feeds, like in some capacity during something that's pretty big. So uh, I'll, I'll tell you how it goes. <laughs> we all shall right. see. I'm just saying, uh, I, all I'll say is I, I, I was you, I used to be you. And I was like, Fuck that. Listen, I strive to be of of your age and wisdom one day. It's coming. It's just right now in the moment, I'm on like 150 and I, mm-hmm. I don't know how to slow down. So um back to the fight itself, Woodley versus Paul. The undercard's intriguing because we get it's good. Yeah, Dubois on it. He's gonna blow someone the hell up. Perfect showcase fight, amazing knockout. That's gonna be just incredible highlight. Right there um, of the night. Then we have Tommy Fury being up one of Jake Paul's sparring partners who never really boxed. He's an MMA guy, but spars with Jake Paul. So Tommy Fury's probably going to take his face off and then talk some big cash shit to try to get the next fight. Love that. And then Amanda Serrano, who excitement-wise is the most exciting women's boxer in the world. Yeah, she knocks people out. Yeah, and she's going for a unification fight. And the last one she had, she made a pound for pound champion. It was like, nah, I'm, I'm out of here. Hit her with a body blow. She's like, nah, this shit's not cool. This ain't sweet. And I expect the same. It's one of the times, like, seven division world champion for a woman, only one division behind Manny Pacquiao um, in terms of all boxers of all time. Like, it's, it's crazy that her power translates and what she can do in the ring. I expect her to put on a show in that co-main event. Yeah, no, this is a very, very good undercard. This is a, like, I have no idea what to expect. Like, I just had a call before we started this podcast, a meeting. They were like, what do you expect out there? I was like, I have no fucking clue. <laughs> like, it's one, it's Cleveland. Like, I can't get over the fact that it's Cleveland. But it's the hometown of the Pauls. So it's like, it could just be Cleveland on steroids. And it's like just maniacs everywhere. Um, I'm staying at the hotel where everything's going down, obviously, because that's, that's, you know, when you stay at the hotel, that's very convenient. But I get to see all this in play. Like, is it going to be a bunch of, you know, Generation Zers out there, like, going nuts? And, like, is it going to be uh, is it going to be a boxing crowd of any degree? Or is it, like, I don't know what to expect. L.A., when, when L.A., when uh, Logan fought KSI, I knew what to expect because it was L.A. And it was a bunch of, like, 15-year-olds in the crowd, shit like that. This is Cleveland, Ohio. With a, a fight card that has really good fights, 
I, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. I don't even know how to dress. <laughs> fight fans are going to pack it out, though. Because, again, Cleveland doesn't get fights of this magnitude Ever. enough to pass on it. We saw that with the Stipe fights, right? Like, um, what, he fought Reem there, I believe, and CM Punk was on the card. Yeah. And they packed it out. And it was like, yo, is this all Punk fans? No, there was a lot. But it was fight fans because that area doesn't get these mega fights or these large showcase fights very often. So, yeah, no, they're going to show out fight fans from that that whole loop there. Pittsburgh, you know what? Pennsylvania, I think Pittsburgh side, all that that whole area. Chicago people come down. It's, it's going to be of good, good fight crowd. And then at this point, I think Woodley might have more cheers in jake's hometown than jake does i don't see i don't think so i know you know we just watched like monday night raw and like logan paul got booed out of the building it like this isn't the wrestling podcast but i will say this the wwe has no clue what their fans want because no. they, they try to him out as like a baby face san diego booed his ass out the building but jake is at home so i i do expect it to be a little bit more maybe like 60 40 70 30 it just depends on who's buying these tickets i don't know if woodley's selling tickets to see him fight jake or if jake's selling tickets for people to watch jake fight i have no idea i don't i, I don't know what this is i like i said i don't know how to dress for this fight i've been like last night i'm packing my bag and like all right i'm bringing my jordans for this you know i'll bring my wrestling shirts for press conferences like i, I this isn't the this isn't like the the uh, Wilder Fury fight where I'm gonna have to wear like a button down. Then it's like fight night. I'm like, what the hell do I wear on fight night? Yeah, wearing, you know, dope kicks in a polo probably. Like, you know, what I'm saying like, how's everybody gonna, like? Who is covering this fight? I have no idea what is going on, and I can't wait. This is gonna be some <laughs> shit. I, like I, I can't wait because I mean, granted, it's COVID, and I will be in my hotel room, but. Dog, I don't know who's coming out. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be surprised. I'm sure, like, and then, dog, you got bar stools doing their dumb shit. They're going to be on there. Logan Paul's doing commentary. AJ McKee's on there. Morrow, Al Bernstein, Ariel's going to be there. This is going to be the. This, I, I said this in another interview. This is like the New Year's Eve of boxing shows. It's going <laughs> to be like they're going to be going to like so many different places with different per- personalities. To you, Morrow, and you know Morrow's the one guy that can bridge all this together, like the pop culture shit. And the boxing shit, and makes sense that he's there. But it's like you're gonna have Al Bernstein and Logan Paul, AJ McKee's gonna be talking about stuff. Uh, Phoenix Carnival, who does like I think she does. Uh, tell him I can't remember which which uh, Combate. I think she does. She's gonna be on here. Uh, obviously, Ariel is doing the in ring interviews. Like this could be work out very well, or this could be like a disaster. And I'm here for both of them. Whatever yeah, I happens, I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> I want it all. And that's what, listen, that's what Jake Paul is. It's a spectacle. But I'm not going to say it's bad for boxing. No, no, listen, guys, stop. Stop saying it's bad for boxing. This is a very good card that a lot of people are going to watch. And they're going to see, most people have never seen Amanda Serrano fight. And they're going to see her for the first time. Most people have not seen Daniel Dubois fight. They're going to see him for the first time. They're going to see a, a Tommy Fury. You're setting up a narrative. If Jake Paul, which we'll talk about in a second, if he beats Tyron Woodley, dog, what, what are you mad at? Like, what do you want? That's what, I guess that's my question. What do you want? I want serious fights. You get them a lot. There's a lot of boxing. And y'all don't watch all the boxing that comes on TV. 
But y'all are talking about this shit. Yeah. People don't want anything positive. No, they want to complain. Um, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't get it. Yeah. Going, it just reminded me of this weekend. Someone, and I'm not even going to give them the pleasure of mentioning them. Media, quote unquote, person was like, who runs this ringside account? Can't believe this. I was like, are you kidding me? One, you know I fucking run this account. Two, I got like four times your followers. Like, get the hell out of here. Don't, don't talk to me in my mentions. So yeah, no, nah, like people just love to complain, which is amazing. Because I, I like Jake Paul's response to it. Because he's like, I'm not going anywhere. No. So you can play, and he's putting in the work. If you put in the work, and if you have the deal in place, what can someone say to you? Nothing. Not a damn thing. If he was making a complete mockery and embarrassment of the sport, then we'd have something to talk about. No, he's training full time. He's bringing people into camp to spar. Yeah, he's only had three fights. Who do you want him to fight with only three fights? Exactly. So it's like no, he's not making a mockery of the sport, and he's putting other people on who deserve the platform. So Look, in his position, he's doing everything he can to do it the right way. I can't knock that shit. No, and look, you know, Jake Paul is not a perfect person. And I'm working, hopefully, like I'll be spending some time with Jake when I get there. And I say hopefully because I'm doing a story called The Unlikely Hero. Because, yeah, he's not, he's a problem child. He's a headache. He's, you know, whatever you want to call him. But the fact that he's brought attention to uh, pay disparity in MMA in a sport that he's not even competing in is important. I don't care what his motives are. The fact that he's doing it means a lot. And, you know, we got to talk about the Cannoneer fight. We'll do all that next week. But he's making more noise than other fighters with that stature are. So why why be mad at him for doing it? You can say whatever you want. But we got to have a real conversation. Yep. Jake, Jake Paul is making a difference in the world of boxing. He's making more people interested. And if he's having fights where somebody like Amanda Serrano can get a little bit of that residuals in terms of, of eyeballs, good for her. If people yep. say, I want to see Daniel Dubois fight. And remember, I said this back when Devin Haney fought on the Logan Paul undercard. Make sure that you're getting knockout. Like, if you're fighting on this card, and this is the one night where you go, you know, where people say, yo, don't go don't go for the knockout because that'll mess you up. No, go for the fucking knockout. You go for the every, gusto. <laughs> everybody looking at you. And if you can get, like, Daniel Dubois, if you get a highlight reel knockout, I guarantee you people are going to want to see you fight again. Yep. But people complaining. Look, man, go stay in your bullshit. Like, stay in that, uh, you know, I love my... It's like underground rap, right? Like the backpacker rap, when they don't want to let go. Like the Roots are, you know, they're, they're about to sign to a label. And people are like, ah, I don't want them to sign the label. Yes, I get it. Sometimes you don't want to see your favorites sign to a label because they're not what they were when they were in the underground. But you should be happy that your favorites are getting exposure, however yeah. it is. Like if uh, Slip Quality is doing something with Jay-Z, bad example because some people don't really like to live, but, it, but you should be happy. Common gets to do something with a bigger artist, like, yes, you should embrace it. Don't be so selfish that you don't want your favorites to get exposure because you don't like the messenger. The message is still there. Jake Paul is trying to deliver a message that fighters should get paid, and here are some fighters that you should watch. And as long as Jake Paul's winning, who knows who'll be on his next undercard? Or it could be, you know, it could be somebody really dope. They just got to figure that shit out. Stop complaining. Stop bitching. <laughs> That's that's really what it comes down to. Let's give our predictions for the fight itself before we get out of here. Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley. Woodley, tons of combat experience in MMA, world championships, hasn't won in a couple of years, switching over to boxing. 
thing with Woodley, he always looks like a million bucks, right? Yeah. But we had this, we had this saying when I coached football, it was like, look like Tarzan, hit like Jane. Like sometimes these guys just look amazing and they just don't, they don't got it. So I'm wondering, one, the transition is hard enough for an MMA guy to straight boxing anyway. There's so many intricacies that people don't see on the outside. They just think everything's power. Like power don't get you shit in boxing. If you don't know the techniques and the the reasons behind and how you how you maneuver and set things up in the ring to land that power. It's not MMA. The gloves aren't small. Someone can eat a shot. And then is he washed above that? Like, is he washed beyond repair? So, so many questions on the wood end. And Jake Paul's questions are, is he getting better? Like, are we just seeing the beginning of Jake Paul? I did not think he was going to mollywop Ben Askren like that. I thought he was going to win. That was quick for a guy who's taken punches in his life um, in Askren. So, I, it's t- I listen, I'm not going to predict an early knockout. I think Tyron Woodley's tough. I'm going to say this goes the eight rounds, but he takes an ass whooping. And Jake Paul just pieces him up. All right. I'll preface it with this. Tyron Woodley's 39 years old. He's uh, he's vastly uh, older than Jake Paul. Tyron Woodley's shorter than Jake Paul. Tyron Woodley has a shorter reach than Jake Paul. Tyron Woodley, you know, this is a fight at a catch weight 190 pounds. But he's fought as 170 pounds his whole career. He's at all, he has all the disadvantages. And the biggest disadvantage is you've never boxed before. So I don't care who's training you. The stuff that you could use in MMA, the looping punches, people are like, well, you know, his last four fights, he lost to Gilbert Burns, Kamara Usman, Vicente Luque, and Colby Covington. Yeah, okay, that's cool. My issue is he has been gun shy like a motherfucker. He's not throwing his hands at all. And when you have somebody like Tyron Woodley who's fighting somebody in a boxing match for the first time, you got to let your hands go. Because you can't throw that. I said it when this fight was first announced. That looping shit ain't going to get far with Jake. Jake throws right down the middle. If you watch all of Jake's fights, granted, they were, you know, not real fighters, especially Ben Askren. But those jabs are right down the middle. And it sets up the right hand. And he uses his height and reach very well. These are quick knockouts. So, Jake Paul is 15 years younger. He is, uh, let me think. He's not as weather-worn as Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley has fought for so many years. He's getting better while Tyron Woodley's kind of peaked. It's not like he's going to be like a great boxer overnight. Tyron Woodley has power. Yes, indeed. He was knocking people out at 170 pounds, though. Now you got bigger gloves on. You're fighting somebody at 190 pounds. Tell me how this translates. I, I, I don't see it. I just don't. <sighs> I don't see a path for Woodley winning. Lastly, perhaps most importantly, you think Jake Paul's team would have picked the fight that he couldn't win? Bingo. Like, there has to be something there. And this fight, again, is against a guy who has to completely unlearn all the techniques he's known for 20 years, 19 through 39, and then learn how to box. So you have to unlearn everything and then learn the skills of boxing Floyd Mayweather is in the camp helping him out. He's had um, a GT, the trainer who's with Mayweather and Broner for his entire camp. They can only teach him so much. I, I think they'll teach him enough to survive. And I'm sketchy on that. 
I don't know. Look, here's some numbers. Like my by the numbers that came out uh, the other day on Sporting News, Tyron Woodley in his last four fights has been outstruck 327 to 114. 327 to 114. That's not great. It's not great at all. Tyron Woodley, the last time he knocked out somebody standing up, it was when he knocked out Robbie Lawler. Like, yeah, he knocked down Darren Till, finished him with a choke. The only one-punch knockout that he had and he followed up with strikes, that was Robbie Lawler. That was how many years ago? 2016. Damn near as old as this podcast. Five years, right? Yeah. Now, to Willie's credit, where you say he could get his ass with and go to decision, he's only been knocked out once, and that was to Nate Marquardt. Like, knocked out. Like, he lost by TKO, but standing up, Nate Marquardt, Marquardt gave him the business in strike force against the cage and knocked him out. Like, he's had a TKO to ribbon injury. He got submitted. He's only been knocked out. So, he might be able to take a bunch of punches. Yeah. Very possible. But in boxing, it's at ref's discretion even more than MMA. You get knocked down twice, and you can still technically go, the ref might stop. I I just don't see a way Tyron wins this fight. And, man, y'all know. Y'all know I like Tyron. Black Lives Matter Tyron. Ferguson, Missouri Tyron. I like Tyron Woodley. Yeah, but on the show. before. (laughs) He's like, you know, we've talked. We've talked, we, you know, we, we've talked, we've texted. I like Tyron, but I'll tell him when I see him, if he asks me, I'm not going to volunteer the shit. I'm not picking you to win dog. And I'm telling you why I've never seen you box. Like, yo, if I go in and you teach me how to do something on something that doesn't move, I'm probably pretty good at doing it. Right. You yeah. say, Oh, hit those mitts. Are they hitting me back? No. Oh, psh, I can do this. The moment that he takes a Jake Paul jab, his brain is going to go back to MMA, and for whatever reason that he's gun-shy, he's going to look for the opening for the big overhand right. If Jake don't give it to him, he's just going to get beat up. And I guarantee you this entire camp, Jake Paul, like BJ Flores has been there. They're just, they, they've been waiting because they're like, oh, all he's got is the overhand right. Unless Tyron Willie can develop another punch, he's cooked. He's got to find an entry point. Manny Pacquiao couldn't find an entry point against Ugas. He's smaller. Just like Tyron Willie's smaller. Yep. How is Tyron Willie going to get inside that jab? I don't see it happening. Paul by knockout. Damn. Yeah. That's, it's going to be interesting. Can't wait to see how it plays out. It's going to be a fun one. Obviously, the fight is on Sunday, so we won't be recording on Sunday. That means our next show is probably next week this time. So Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about it. I was like, damn, well, you know, the fight's on Sunday. I'll be on a flight back Monday. I ain't going to want to be bothered. No. Um, so, we'll, so yeah. yeah. We'll have a week between shows, which is cool, because we'll probably just do a Wednesday show and a Friday show um, like normal heading into the next weekend after that. Hopefully, we'll be able to share some news with you guys by then, so it'll be a nice little break. Trust me, we'll be working in the background, making sure our show for Wednesday really hits. We appreciate you guys listening. Not only this show, but our show earlier in the week, the three-hour one. It was a marathon, but again, so glad you guys enjoyed it. Make sure you guys follow us on social media at Corner Podcast underscore on Twitter, at Corner Club for Life on Instagram. Follow me at Kel Dansby, him at Andreas Hale on all platforms. Shout out to Blue Eye Network. Shout out to all of the sponsors. Shout out to all of you guys. Stay safe, stay rotor free. Till next week, we're out. Peace. Oh